0: Good morning, I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Now, Memphians, you know, we love to brag and there's a lot that we have to brag about. And I'm not just talking about the Grizzlies or our music scene, but I'm talking about our water. Now, if you've had drinking water from other places, then you know that not all water is created equally. And in recent years, we've seen more fights over protecting local water in cities across the U.S. and also in Hawaii. Water is such an essential resource, the key to life. But what happens when your natural resource is threatened? Today, we're talking water and specifically the Memphis Sand Aquifer or the Sparta Aquifer. And joining me this morning, I have Sarah Houston. Sarah has worked in water communication for over 10 years. She is currently the executive director of protect our aquifer and she previously served as the associate director of education and outreach for the university of memphis center for applied earth science and engineering research houston and her husband are the creators of wander like water where they use bicycle touring to connect youtube viewers from around the world with water science so good morning sarah thank you so much for joining us
1: Thank you so much for having me this is already a great little intro I love the whole concept of your show I got my coffee ready and I'm excited to chat (laughs)
0: yes 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 to the coffee you know okay well let's just let's start here with the coffee part because how do you make coffee you need some water you need some good water it's so true Yes, and so I I already love this synergy that we are having. And I am a native Memphian. And so I have to tell you, I think it has been instilled in me probably from a very young age that we have this thing called an aquifer and that it's really important to our drinking water. And yes, I've definitely heard people brag about where our water tastes good. And if you all don't know about good water, it's because you haven't had Memphis drinking water. (laughs) So I'm so excited to talk to you about water and about Protect Our Aquifer, the organization. But let me just start here. Okay. What is an aquifer?
1: (laughs) Okay. Awesome. First question. I love where you're getting already. So an aquifer is a layer of sediment. It can be sand, Rock rock saturated with water. So it's mm-hmm. underground. You can't see it. And it's just a layer of earth where water fills in all the spaces. And so the aquifer that we have in Memphis, you think of it more like a sandbox that's been rained in. So mm-hmm. all those little pore spaces between the sand grains, that's where our water is held.
0: Mm. All right. And what makes the aquifer so important when it comes to quality of water?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there's different types of aquifers. Like I said, there's rocks, there's sand, there's soils. So when you go out, think of like East Tennessee, you got the mountains and all these clear springs and all this clear water. They've got what's called a karst aquifer system and water can sink down into it real quick which also means contaminants can sink down into it really quick. So you might see rainfall pick up oil slicks and, you know, radiator fluid, and that can show up in the aquifer quick. But here in Memphis, we've got what's called a sandy sediment aquifer. And so it actually moves much, much slower rainfall that lands, you know, in Memphis, it could take decades to get actually down into our aquifer. So when we think about why our water is so clean and pure here, really, is it's been filtering naturally through the soils and the sands for centuries and actually millennia. Wow. So I wish I could like, everybody could see me. I always do my little <laughs> diagram with my hands, but we kind of our aquifer below us is shaped like a big bathtub. And okay. below Memphis is where it's the deepest. So mm-hmm. if you go out to Fayette County and West Tennessee the sands come to the surface mm-hmm. and rain can directly enter what we call the recharge zone. And it takes 2000 years for rain that fell in Fayette County to filter and get all the way down to pretty much below Memphis. Wow. So most of the water that we drink today fell as rain 2000 years ago.
0: Wow. Oh my goodness. My mind is absolutely <laughs> blown right now. And I mean, isn't just, science and our world just so amazing so we are really benefiting from rainwater that fell thousands of years ago Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that you know that good tasting water you know contaminant free water we get to benefit from that and then correct me if I'm wrong but Memphis is the largest U.S. city that relies 100 on groundwater right is that correct
1: that is correct and you know when you look at like different studies that have been done, there's a lot of other big cities that rely on groundwater, but they usually have they supplement it with a little bit of river water or a little bit from a different aquifer. Our sole source is the Memphis Sand Aquifer, and then one other aquifer right below it called the Fort Pillow Aquifer. And so we don't touch the Mississippi River, we don't touch the Wolf River, we don't touch Nacanda Creek. I mean, we are getting all of our water. From underground and we are a big city that is very unique in that sense. Mm-hmm.
0: So that just again speaks to how important protecting our aquifer really <laughs> yes. is because we are getting all the water that we use from our aquifer, and I think that's really important for people to understand because I think it can be easy to take for granted um, that you might turn on a faucet or you know turn on your shower bathtub and water comes out that it's okay for you to bathe in or it's okay for you to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure for listeners, especially those who are in the Memphis area, we can remember last year when we had you know the snowstorm and you know water. We really felt like how precious. Of a commodity, water really is. And I don't know about you all, but I was definitely boiling my water because I was like, I cannot take any risks. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> boiling my water. Um, I was, yes, I was, I was very, very vigilant about that. But just yeah. thinking about how important water is in general and the fact that we have this natural resource that, you know, we really can take for granted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think just, you know, in the United States in general, that's kind of been like you said, it comes out of our faucet. There's usually never an issue. It flows when we need it any day, any time. And it just has been kind of this, you know, underutilized resource. And when you think about really Memphis and how we get it from this underground aquifer, it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't see it. You don't really understand like how you're interacting with it. It's different when you might get your water from a big lake, and you see lake levels drop or you see algae blooms, you're like, Ooh, something's going on. We don't have that same like visual cue, that visual awareness. It's just like, Oh, somewhere under there, there's some water, I guess. And Pulling out of my top. so everything must be going right, right? <laughs>
0: yes, I think you bring up such a good point because we don't have that kind of visual indicator or that kind of daily awareness of exactly where our water is coming from. So even though it is to me so cool that we're thinking about water from thousands of years ago, right? <laughs> that we that we're drinking today, we don't see that happening, right? <laughs> right? We haven't been around for thousands of years ourselves personally <laughs> to see this <laughs> process kind of happening so we are a little bit divorced from the water that we have I mean even thinking about you know at one point hundreds of years ago you know in Raleigh in a community in North Memphis there were natural hot springs and mm-hmm. it was kind of you know a tourist attraction for that time for people to come to the hot springs but even that part of our history most people don't know because there aren't any hot springs in mm-hmm. Raleigh in Memphis right mm-hmm. now right right and so and- again just very divorced from kind of our yeah. very rich water history.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you brought that up. Oh my gosh, that was like <laughs> such a forgotten piece of Memphis history. And it's so interesting because we used to have springs all over Shelby County, all over this area, and they don't flow the way they used to anymore because we've pumped so much from the aquifer and we've dropped the level of the aquifer by a hundred feet in some places and in some places as deep as 125 feet from what the original levels were. So, you know, when you don't have that much water in the system anymore, you're not going to have springs where it flows to the surface. And, you know, so we don't have those anymore because we've just pumped so much out of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, now you mentioned, since you mentioned how some in certain areas, the level may have dropped um, hundreds of feet because of how we're pumping, but that doesn't mean that we're at risk for not having any more water anytime soon, correct?
1: Right, that is correct. And that's something that's just so interesting about you know this corner of the world we're a very rich water city you know we've got the mississippi river one of the world's largest rivers at our front door we've got three major rivers that run across Shelby county we've got one of the world's most pure largest aquifer right below us i mean like we are we are looking good in the water situation but it comes down to quality you know, the quality of the water is what is really of concern. And, you know, you look at the Mississippi river, every type of chemical you can think of (laughs) is in that Mississippi river. So we are very fortunate to not have to drink that and, you know, try to treat it. Um, I will say new Orleans, their drinking water is the end of the Mississippi river. That is one of the only places in the world. I buy bottled water, (laughs) like (laughs) not just in that hundred year old water treatment plant with You know, who knows what's all in there. So, um, but like to your point though, you know, we aren't really worried about running out of water, but on the quantity side, Mm -hmm. when you are pumping that much, what can happen is the sands that I spoke of earlier, the sands start to desaturate. So there's no water in there. And what could happen is those sand grains, they collapse on themselves Mm -hmm. and it leads to land sinking and that's called subsidence. And that's where you get issues with, you know, your home foundation, your roadways cracking, you know, you start to see some structural issues because you're getting this land sinking. Mm-hmm. And so that's an issue that's not necessarily like availability of water, but it, you are seeing like actual impacts to the land when you over pump. Mm-hmm. And then I got through one more thing. And on the quality side, when you lower those levels, that water from our surface can start to sink in faster. And so instead of water coming from the 2000 years, you know, from Fayette County, it might be coming from just land surface here in Shelby County at as fast a rate as 10, 20, 30 years. And if it's younger water, it's very likely to have some kind of contaminants in it. You know, we've got gas stations with leaking tanks. You've got dry cleaners that back in the day, they just buried their chemicals out back because they didn't have to do anything else. you have all these little pockets of pollution and rain and water can pick that up as they travel down to the aquifer. So, you know, conservation is less about having water that we have access to And more about slowing that flow of pollution down, down to our deeper aquifer. Mm,
0: I think that's so important what you said, slowing the pollution, (laughs) because I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, some of the, the modern conveniences that we have weren't around a thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago. So it was kind of just this, you know, rainwater that was falling Mm -hmm. and seeping into the ground Whereas now, as you just mentioned, even some of those factors, right, Mm -hmm. Um, different businesses, thinking about all the chemicals we use in Mm -hmm. our yards or in our homes or, you know, just all of the technology we have that we don't necessarily dispose of properly, Mm -hmm. all of that impacting the quality of our water and everything really is connected, right? And exactly. we see that in in this instance in the water that we have access to. You know, as you were talking, and I'm um, talking about how the sand might kind of get more compact and how that then might impact, you know, housing foundations. It made me think about all the potholes we have in Memphis now. Are you <laughs> telling me this is related?
1: <laughs> oh, man. It, uh, sort of, actually. I mean, we just have such like sandy sediments. So, you know, you've got your clay and then you've got your sandy sediments. And that stuff just moves around, (laughs) especially the thing about like clay, like it gets, when it gets wet, it expands when it gets dry, it shrinks. And that's really hard for concrete to deal with. Concrete's like, I don't shrink and compact like that. Um, I'm just going to crumble. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's, you know, our soils definitely play a role in our potholes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So, you that was something that has been on my mind a lot recently. And so now I have a, a little bit of the answer for what's yeah. going on with our streets. All right. You mentioned about the quality of water and I think this is a topic that's on not just our minds as Memphians but even for folks who are maybe listening from out of town or wherever you may be because we've seen so many um so much activism around water over these past several years I'm thinking of course for a lot of folks maybe Flint Michigan was might have been one of the more recent time periods when folks really understood like what's going on with water why it's so important the infrastructure Peace is so mm-hmm. important. And thinking about even a Flint, Michigan, where still ongoing water crisis, yeah. right? Um, and then, you know, more recently, of course, thinking, I'm thinking a lot about Hawaii, um, yeah. because I think it just, you know, blows my mind that you can be an island, but not have you know, drinkable water or have decreasing availability of drinkable water. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, here in Memphis, right, Um, Mm -hmm. thinking about the Bihalia Pipeline, um, which currently is stopped. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. It's been canceled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the Bahalia pipeline, because I know Protect Our Aquifer was involved, as well as a lot of other community organizations and community residents Mm -hmm. um, in really, you know, stopping that. So if you could tell listeners a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, to go back to your points about, you know, all these really around the country, around the world, water issues, the Flint, Michigan situation, I won't get too into the weeds in that. We can talk about it if you want to later, but that really was extremely eye-opening. I think for just a lot of average people being like, "What, what is coming out of my tap? Like, I don't, I don't even question it. And here I've learned that a whole community has been poisoned. Mm-hmm. And so it led to this, you know, I would say mistrust, but also just like this r- realization that no one's questioning what's coming out of your tap in the sense that they really should when you're thinking about ingesting it every day. And um, so I think that's something that, you know, really helped bring up the awareness of what is going on with our water infrastructure and the water quality. So it's been, you know, critical to the national conversation. Now, their situation was very unique in the sense that the water planners and the, and the actual government officials chose not to treat the water fully and, and like pretty much actively poison that, that community. So different situation than what we would be dealing with here in Memphis, but still like just shows that you can't always trust exactly what's coming out of your tap. You need to be an informed person. So, um, Ooh, that fun stuff is heavy. Um, but to your question, Bahalia pipeline. Oh man, what a moment in Memphis history. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we worked very closely with uh, Memphis community against the pipeline. Now they're called Memphis community against pollution MCAP. Um, and they really, that, that organization, you know, jumped up at the start of the Bayhelia pipeline fight, um, because that community was specifically the one in Southwest Memphis that was going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. And, um, we also worked with Southern environmental law center, Sierra club, climate reality project. I mean, it was like an all hands on deck, incredible movement building moment, um, protect our aquifer we really you know got involved i will say like at the time we didn't have any full-time staff so it was board-run volunteer-run organization at protect our aquifer and at first our sentiment was like oh man like how do you stop a multi-billion dollar oil company like is this even like is this even a fight worth fighting but First, first big red flag to us was the route of this pipeline. This crude oil pipeline was supposed to go through the Davis Well Field, and well fields are areas. Usually, they're kind of a cluster of a few, a few blocks of a neighborhood where MLGW or other utilities have a bunch of wells, kind of clustered together. And those wells are pumping, and they go to a, a treatment station, and then they're sent to our homes and businesses. So. Mm-hmm. That well field in, in Davis Well Field supplies all of Southwest Memphis with their drinking water, and even the industrial users like a President's Island. And this pipeline was supposed to go right through that well field, where there's one well on one side of the pipeline and one well on the other side. And that is not a best management practice. That is something that is explicitly put into zoning law. Not here yet, um, but. It, in other communities that rely on wells, usually you don't put hazardous infrastructure that carries harmful contamination directly next to your water supply. So it was just such a egregious, horrible example. And MLGW did not say, you can't do that. They said, why don't you just put some more monitoring equipment and response equipment and, you know, just we'll deal with it if there is an accident versus saying, You can't go through our well field. And then all of the permits that the pipeline company had to get, none of them took into account the aquifer as our drinking water supply. It was all wetlands or surface water, nothing about groundwater and aquifers. So the more and more we learned and realized like this is terrible for our aquifer and then really getting to know the community side of things and their landowners that didn't want to sell easements to their property, and then the pipeline company sued them and tried to take their land through eminent domain. Mm-hmm. It was just like, come on, give us a break! Like, there's no, there's no way this is, this is something we can sit down and just let happen. And so that's really it was kind of all of these factors coming together. It was like, okay, we got to jump in and take action. And that's, and that's really how the whole group kind of came together, and we strategized on so many different fronts that really was like, we were attacking them from all angles. (laughs) So uh, it really was um, a really incredible moment. And how do you bring a bunch of different groups together with a common goal and a common mission and and fight a multi-billion dollar company with a bunch of grassroots organizations and win. So it was pretty amazing, hard, sleepless nights, really stressful, <laughs> but um, like overall, just a really incredible moment. Yes,
0: yes. And, you know, I love that, you know, what you said about a lot of different grassroots organizations, a lot of organizations coming together for this common goal and very much community led as well mm-hmm. from residents who are in the communities that would have been directly affected mm-hmm. um, with the Bahia pipeline. And so I think that's so important to build across different groups, right? Mm -hmm. To come together. And I think, like you said, a historic moment for Memphis, really showing that when we come together, we can protect our communities. We can stop these big corporations, right? We do have a voice and Mm -hmm. oftentimes it can seem very overwhelming, right? Even as you mentioned, like, what can we do against this big, you know, multi-million, billion dollar company, but this really proves what you can do when you're working together. And I know that this whole movement really generated a lot of support um, Mm -hmm. from across the nation, um, various elected officials or or previously, you know, elected officials, politicians and um, celebrities as well. So I think that just really goes to show how our voices, how how powerful they are and how when we come together and do the work, we can make change. So this is very exciting. Yeah. So, yes. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. We're here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Sarah Houston, who is the Executive Director of Protect Our Aquifer. And of course, we're talking all things water. And you know, something you mentioned kind of briefly was thinking about different regulations or protections that are in place or that may not be in place. And I know that uh, a few years ago at this point, um, kind of attention was, on the protections or regulations that are are not in place with the Tennessee Valley Authority um, and TVA kind of just deciding to make decisions about what they would do with drilling. And there weren't really any regulations or protections in place. So can you tell us, you know, what do we have in place to protect our aquifer?
1: Ooh, Sunaw, I love that. (laughs) This This is a POA's origin story. So Protect Our Aquifer actually formed up late, late 2016, like December 26, 2016. Um, and we were, we were actively forming to challenge wells that Tennessee Valley Authority drilled. And we have a groundwater management authority in Shelby County, sort of. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was really sleepy. Um, we, we passed as a community back in the late 80s and early 90s. We passed a series of ordinances that actually established a groundwater board and a and a whole department as part of the health, the Shelby County Health Department, to actually manage and regulate our groundwater. So there was a lot of great intention, late 80s, early 90s, when they started to realize our aquifer isn't as perfectly immune from contamination the way we thought it was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, fast forward 25, 30 years, and those entities really aren't functioning to their full capacity. Um, the, not all the regulations on the books are really enforced. Um, and so TVA operated a big coal fired power plant here for about 60 years. Uh, there's a whole saga on that I won't get into yet when <laughs> you start asking about it. but. Um, you know, so they, they were ready to transition and build a new power plant, uh, based on methane gas. And so they were going to shut down the coal plant, build this new gas plant, and they needed, you know, a cooling water source. And their original plan was to actually recycle treated wastewater from the city's wastewater treatment facility next door, which everybody was like, awesome idea, you know, that's like environmentally sound and conserving. Everyone's like, great idea, TVA. Then, bes- behind closed doors and without any public input, they changed their plan to drill five wells deep into the Memphis Sand Aquifer to use solely for cooling water, and the, the groundwater board, they have to go get their permits from the Shelby County Groundwater Board, and the groundwater board approved those, even though those wells are located right across the street from our unlined coal ash pond Mm -hmm. that has toxic levels of arsenic and lead and fluoride and mercury in the ground and so if you pump five million gallons a day across from across the street you're pulling that stuff down faster Mm -hmm. and that's something that our groundwater board should have recognized and should have investigated before issuing those permits and in our Belief they shouldn't have even issued them at all. Mm -hmm. And so we formed up to join a lawsuit with Sierra Club. And that's kind of our origin story, fighting those things. And what ended up happening was um, the state, TDEC, ordered a pump test to see if there was a connection. If you run these wells, are you going to pull down that arsenic faster? The science showed, yes, you absolutely will. You can't run those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so TVA now is still using water from the aquifer, but they're buying it from MLDW at well fields a little farther away. Mm, um, okay. But, you know, it was like just regulations that hadn't been enforced. Nobody was really doing their due diligence. And since then, you know, it's been about five years since we formed up and since that, that poor decision. And the good thing is that Groundwater Board is starting to really take things a little more seriously. (laughs) We Mm -hmm. show up at every single board meeting. We film every single board meeting. Uh, We are very advocate, very active in that board. Um, But beyond that, there really isn't a lot of regulation around what kind of development, how much you can pump, like none of that exists right now. And after the Behalia pipeline fight, like after the um, pipeline was canceled, Um, MCAP, Protect Our Aquifer, Sierra Club, other folks, we continue to campaign to pass laws here in Memphis that would continue to piecemeal that regulation together. So one of our big wins was getting what's called the wellhead protection zone law. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much creates little buffer zones around our wells that says you can't have hazardous development like a pipeline, like a dry cleaner, like a any chemical factory you can't have those right next to your well field if you do you need a special permit which has a public process. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of our big wins we got passed uh, late 2021 that really starts to get at that level of protection that's actually like law. <laughs> so there's a long way to go um but there's definitely forward movement. I'll say. Yes, that's so important.
0: You mentioned a couple of things there that I just wanted to draw out. The fact that um, Protector Aquafor is present at these board meetings, right? So thinking about holding um, <laughs> people accountable, right? Uh-huh. And knowing like, hey, we're going to be there. We're right. going to record these meetings. We're going to have a record of yeah. our own that says what was said, decisions that were made, et cetera. Um, So there's no kind of hiding or, you know, escaping the accountability on that side. And the other piece in thinking about just continued forward movement Mm -hmm. in instituting regulations and creating laws um, Mm -hmm. that really say what can and cannot be done. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any other pieces of legislation that you're able to share with us that are maybe in the works or that we um, might want to stay abreast of or even get involved with?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. Actually, this is Aaron at just the right time. We have two, actually I'll mention three, um, three good things that people can get involved with today right now. First one is Memphis City Council is uh, considering passing a resolution that would demand that TVA conduct a supplemental environmental impact study an SEIS on this coal ash move. So I mentioned the arsenic that's been sinking down into the aquifer. They have started moving it, which is good. That's what we wanted. But the way in which they decided how to move it and where to move it was not transparent. It did not involve community input. And the plan that they ultimately decided was 10 years of driving 240 trucks across predominantly black South Memphis to take the coal ash from one spot and put it in a landfill in a different spot, still atop our aquifer. And, you know, there's, you could talk all day about what the alternatives are and that's like a whole thing, but really our big concern was just how TVA went about this decision-making process. And I'm not gonna get into the thousands of pages (laughs) of technical documents we reviewed, but short end of the story is they received two bids pretty sure they picked the cheapest one and again you're burdening a community that has been burdened by just the burning of the pa- of the coal for 60 years so mm-hmm. this city council resolution is going before memphis city council on May 10th and mm-hmm. so if anybody wants to go to either MCAP, memphis cap.org or protectouraquifer.org there's ways that you can reach out to our city council members do a one click email and, and vo- voice support for this resolution. So um, what that would really do is just give us additional information about the potential impacts to the community and the environment that can allow us more information to put in better measures and maybe mitigate some of those issues. So that's something we've been asking for TVA for a while and they continue to say no. And so, Memphis City Council is willing, or we hope will pass, so we need your support, Um, but they seem to be willing to put a little bit more heat on TVA to do the right thing. So that's one exciting moment. Uh, (laughs) uh, Another one actually is an action you can take today right now, which is um, emailing our governor, uh, Governor Bill Lee, to ask him to veto a piece of legislation that was just passed by the House and Senate. And this was one of the big campaigns we had throughout the month of March where the legislature introduced a bill that was trying to undo all of the laws I just talked about, about, you know, having the wildlife protection zone and about having crude oil pipeline zoning laws that we fought for after the pipeline was canceled the um, legislature attempted to pass a preemption law. So just cancel all local laws. Luckily, uh, the band got back together. The coalition (laughs) from across the state, we were like, oh, no, 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 no. And so the good news from that is the bill that was originally introduced has been drastically amended. So now our local laws in Memphis would stand. So we, we do have some of those protections still on the books but the language is very ambiguous. It still takes away a city council or county commission's power from passing a resolution, making a statement about fossil fuel infrastructure. And it's just bad law, it's invasive state overreach. And there's ambiguous language that we're worried of uh, oil and gas company could use and try and push a project through, which would lead up in litigation and more you know, just more pain for the community. So we're asking Bill Lee to to um, veto it, but also just explain why. So that's another action folks can take. Same websites: MemphisCAP.org or aquifer.org. And there's one-click emails you can take to reach out to Bill Lee and say, "We don't want HB 2246 passed." Yes. <laughs> Those are two exciting things we got going on at this exact moment. Um, and then the third one I'll just mention briefly um, this is a, a, um, a legacy polluted site called the Defense Depot in South Memphis. It's in the Alcy Ball neighborhood, right off Airways. And it's an old World War II um, kind of industrial manufacturing site. So they had, I mean, any type of chemical you can imagine has been stored at that facility. And then it stayed a big, um, army logistics hub through the nineties and they buried toxic waste there for 50 years. And right now there is a five-year review open for public comment through the end of May. And so we're working on working with the local community there and studying a lot of these reports and starting to get some comments together and folks will have the opportunity to voice their own opinions. Like we'll, we'll, um, write up a, you know, super technical letter, but (laughs) the community has the opportunity to chime in on this too. And what we're really asking for is continued remediation, keep spending money to clean it up because the job's not done. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the main gist of it. <laughs> but it's a really, it's a legacy polluted site that has impacted people's health in that neighborhood for generations. Mm-hmm. And it's a um, really sad state of affairs. And that, that pollution has been sinking deeper and deeper into the aquifer and has actually led to multiple MLGW wells being shut down because contamination wow. got to them. So this is an actively, actively polluting our aquifer and that that slow moving water you know time's caught up with us we've been ignoring this stuff for 80 years and the clock's ticking and it's showing up in our wells and we can't let that happen
0: Wow, thank you so much for sharing those opportunities for action. I mean, again, just thinking about, you know, what we do today will impact the future of our water, Um, and and some in the nearer future and some in, you know, longer term future. (laughs) And so I think these are three actions or three issues that folks can really get involved in. And just one more time, could you share the websites where folks can find more information and kind of do some of those easy actions as well?
1: Absolutely. ProtectourAquifer.org is, is, that's our site. And so Aquifer is a q u i f e r, (laughs) Um, And so that's, if you go to our now tab, that's usually where we keep up our kind of current issue campaigns. And then um, MemphisCAP.org, that's Memphis Community Against Pollution. They have a take action tab as well. And they usually um, will keep that updated with current, current events. And so those are two sites you can go and check out um, and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Protector Aquifer has got a good little, little social presence. So we'd love to have y'all join the community and learn along with us.
0: Yes, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Well, let's take another quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR91.7 FM. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR91.7 FM. I'm Sana and I'm here with Sarah Houston, who is the executive director of Protect Our Aquifer. And before the break, Sarah, you shared with us a few different ways that we can all get involved in protecting our aquifer and really. being invested in our water source. And that just led me to want to know, how did you get so involved in in water preservation and and really communicating and sharing with folks, you know, all this great information about water? How did that start for you?
1: Well, I'm a certified water nerd. So, you know, (laughs) you got to have, you know, so I, um, there was a really crucial moment for me that um, really kind of helped start the evolution of what is my career now. But um, it was back when I was in college, I was at the uh, Southwestern University, which is kind of like a Rhodes College, um, just north of Austin, Texas. So I'm from Texas and I was going to school for political science because I wanted to change the world, you know, exactly yes. uh, <laughs> how, but I was like, you know, all excited, bright eye bushy tail. And so I am um, for uh, two summers, I canvassed and worked with what was called Environment Texas. And so I would go door to door, knocking, talking about the campaign we're working on, raising funds. And um, it was like a fundraising and education gig. And so it was like outdoors, summertime, talking to people. I was like, I love all those things. Um, So our um, big issue that first summer I worked there was increasing the city of Austin's water conservation budget. And so I was talking to people, you know, about where our water comes from. And I was just so surprised how few people knew where their water came from. And I mean, across education backgrounds, across racial backgrounds, across, you know, income levels, we were in all kinds of neighborhoods and Mm -hmm. I'm like intimately at their front door, you know, asking them (laughs) questions and talking to them. And it was just something that really resonated with me that so few people really know the water that's coming out of their faucet. And there's a big river that runs through downtown Austin, the Colorado River. And that's where our water comes from. (laughs) So it's like, you know, the big river, you know, okay, (laughs) apparently not. Um, So that was just kind of, it just kind of like sparked this interest of like, this is our most vital resource for life. Besides the air we breathe, like you should know where it comes from. (laughs) And that just kind of like snowballed over the years to really, you know, how do you bring that level of understanding? And and I truly believe that if you know your water comes from, and if you have some kind of an intimate connection to it, you are going to be more willing to take action, more willing to speak up and more willing to really get involved on ways that will protect and preserve that resource, no matter what community that you're in. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, that was the moment that sparked it all. And, you know, you fast forward and I ended up here and so, what I've been a water, very passionate about water since about 2009. Wow. We're so happy
0: that you are passionate about water because again, like you mentioned, you know, water is life. Um, We need it. We cannot live without it literally. And so, you know, knowing where our, you know, where our water is coming from and how we can be involved, I think is very important. Now, I want to take it back to something you kind of mentioned earlier when we first started chatting um, and you said, you know, um, you normally don't drink bottled water. Um, and I just wanted to touch on this because I think, you know, people are, are kind of understanding more about, okay, I need to drink water. Right. And so we're getting (laughs) that message. Um, and one way that people often do it is they go just grab a case of bottled water. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about if that's a good idea, if that's a bad idea, like what's up with the bottled water?
1: Yes. No, I love this question. Um, I am, I am. Pretty adamantly against bottled water. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say with with the caveat that there are communities, you know, predominantly Black, you know, communities that have been disinvested for years where their pipe infrastructure is in really bad shape. Mm -hmm. And and really Memphis in general, Black or white neighborhoods, we've got old, old infrastructure, old pipes, and most of them are made out of lead. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get, you know, potential lead pollution in your drinking water now no no safe amount there's no safe amount of lead now i will say the caveat is a filter can do the trick and Mm -hmm. a filter can do the trick where it's going to filter out you know any of that any of those kind of lead particles um, and that can pretty much do what you need to do to make sure you have safe drinking water at home and it's a lot cheaper than buying bottled water now one of my i've got a couple beefs with bottled water (laughs) but one of them on the health side you know is that you know, they're plastic bottles and they're, you know, have been traveling through 18 wheeler trucks, warehouses, hot temperatures, cold temperatures. And when plastic heats up, cools down, heats up, cools down, it's releasing tiny microscopic particulates. And so you might be drinking microplastic when you're drinking out of water, water bottles every day. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, you hear a lot about like non BPA, um, you know, type of things. And so there's a lot of chemicals that go into water bottle production. And you may not realize, but you're drinking this pollution that can actually actively impact reproductive systems. It can impact blood. It can do a lot of bad things in these really small doses over a long, a long time. And so like, that's one of my big beefs. And then the other one really is, that it's just a very resource intensive product. And like to make the plastic water bottles, you if you think that you picture just like your normal, you know, whatever 12 ounce plastic water bottle, if you fill that up about a third full with oil, that's how much oil it takes to produce one water bottle. Wow. And if you think about how much water it takes to produce that actual water bottle, it, it takes about five to 10 water bottles worth of water to create the bottle. So it's just extremely resource intensive in addition to potentially bad for your health. Mm-hmm. And so if you're mistrustful of your water pipe infrastructure, I recommend filters and making sure you're diligent on changing out your filters. And there's a cost associated with that, but it's still going to be cheaper than buying bottled water. Um, and it's just a little more accessible too, because it's filled the tap. Good to go drink water all day long. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm running out of water, water bottles. I'm not <laughs> going to drink very much. It's like, stay hydrated you need that (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: yes okay thank you so much for that because (laughs) we also know that recycling doesn't really happen Uh, we're seeing more and more stories where you know recycling is kind of like a myth we think we're putting the water bottle into a recycling bin that's going to go get recycled but it's really just going to a landfill Mm -hmm. so again thinking about the decisions that we're making today and how they impact our future whether it's the future that we will see or the future that you know kids grandkids and on and on will impact the type of planet that they will will live on later um, later down the road so thank you so much for sharing that so I just want to encourage folks you know to get the filter you know you can even get glass bottles if you want to kind of fill up a bottle to take with you you know to work or wherever and so you can still have your water stay hydrated because that is important Um, and I know it's going to start getting hot here in Memphis so hydration. Will be important, but we can do so in ways that are more beneficial versus destructive Mm -hmm. um, destructive to our home. Uh, Now, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us some other ways that we might be able to get involved um, in water preservation conservation. You shared with us some great ways um, to get involved as far as some legislation that's coming up. Um, But what else can we do? And I want to think about as individuals, what can we do? And then collectively, what can we do as well to make sure that we are protecting our water?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So, you know, there's so many small actions we each can take every single day. Um, And there's things, you know, like if you've got, you know, a yard, you know, don't use a bunch of fertilizers. Don't use a bunch of pesticides. Those chemicals, they sink down into the ground. They run off into our streams. And also they're really toxic for you and your pets and your family to breathe. (laughs) So like, you know, really, if you're going to need that kind of level of lawn care, look for organic alternatives. Um, that's something that really can, you know, help protect you and your family and also our water resources around us. So that's, that's a small action that you can do. Um, you know, also just being mindful of your water use, you know, we're not in any kind of crazy drought stricken area, but, well, don't leave your tap on when you're brushing your teeth, you know, use your wrist, a little flick of the wrist, turns it right back off, you know, like that kind of thing. When you have many households, multiple people every single day, taking those actions, it's, it's a huge saving. That's a huge impact. And I think that's something that you don't think you're like, you're, I'm one person, you know, me, you know, taking my 10 minute, five minute showers. What's that really going to do? It's like, well, when you're talking about a city of 600,000 people taking those same actions, that's, that's a lot of water you're going to save every day, every year that we don't have to pump out of the aquifer. So little things like that really do matter. And and I got to say, if you're, if you're a, you know, handy person that changes your own oil, um, dispose of your oil properly. Don't, pour it down the drain. Don't pour it down the storm sewer. You can take it to an auto zone or, you know, any kind of like, you know, auto body shop, they'll take your oil for free. So, you know, I definitely work how to plug that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, those are just some like the little simple things you can do. And, um, if you like, if you irrigate your lawn, you got your sprinkler system, you know, watch the weather. If it's going to rain that week, you don't need to run it, you know, just little small things that really do add up. Mm-hmm. I love that.
0: All these small actions that we really can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, those larger actions. So getting involved in pieces of in, in legislation and speaking out to your elected officials as well. Well, Sarah, tell our listeners how they can learn more about Protect Our Aquifer and stay up to date on what's happening
1: in the water world. Yes, the water world, my favorite place to be. Um, so you can find us at protectouraquifer.org. We're um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Protect our aquifer. Uh, you can go onto our website and actually um, click on the contact button. Sign up for our newsletter. We send out once once a month, so we're not spamming you. Um, but we usually have a good juicy newsletter filled with updates and actions you can take. And you're like, what's going on? Um, And you can also request a yard sign. So you've probably seen the blue and white yard signs around town. We provide them free of charge just to kind of show solidarity across the city and really the county. So you can um, request those online when you sign up for our newsletter. And you can also sign up to volunteer. And we're, you know, as springs, you know, ramping up, there's a lot more events going on and COVID's letting up. So we're actually like doing stuff out, out around people. (laughs) So we definitely are looking for volunteers to um, really help get out the word and, um, and really work with us. So go to our website, Instagram, we would love to see you. Awesome.
0: Well, Sarah, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. It was so great to chat with you.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it and my nice cup of coffee as we uh, get ready for the rest of this week. So thank yes. you so much. And I'm hopeful you can take a conversation again and talk later.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you again to Sarah Houston for joining us this morning. I loved our chat talking about water. Water is so important. And so, hopefully, this will be your reminder as you're drinking your glass of water today for the actions that you can take to protect our aquifer. We need water and we want our water to be clean and to have good water for generations to come. Well, for today's positive note, I wanted to leave you with this quote that says, "'When life places stones in your path, be the water. A persistent drop of water will wear away even the hardest stone.'" So here's to persistence during this week ahead. Thank you so much for joining me on this beautiful Monday morning. I'm here every Monday at 11 a.m. Let's grab coffee. Let's do it again next week. And if you missed any part of today's conversation, don't worry because you can listen to the replay on wyxr.org or go ahead and subscribe to Let's Grab Coffee in podcast format available wherever you stream podcast. I cannot wait to have you back here with me next Monday morning.